0: it's been such a uh, joy to be with you this past few weeks to preach god's word and i told roy that uh, if you ever need me to come and fill the pulpit to preach uh, please let me know just don't give me a one hour notice Um, we're glad you're back roy and um, i'm sure your trip was wonderful in china and and a wonderful story to share with the congregation Um, i heard that next year is it this year or next year it's the 50th year anniversary. Next year. Next year. So this church was started in 1968. Right? Yeah, yeah right? Okay, because I know that because I was born in 68. I turned 50 next year. Oh, <laughs> the coincidence of that. Wow. But to see this church uh, 50 years and see a multi generational from young children to college and seniors, it's. A, No, we don't call it old people nowadays, right? That's politically incorrect. Vintage is the word. Vintage is the word. But today, uh, I had the privilege to share God's word with you again um, from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. So uh, the Apostle Paul has established the doctrine of justification, right, in Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. He has established the truth that all those who are in Christ receive grace and eternal life and are justified, right? Declared in the eyes of God righteous because of Christ's finished work on the cross and because who he is. So we now come to chapter 6. This is a very, very important shift from Paul's writing of the book of Romans As he established the doctrine of justification, in chapter 6, he is now establishing the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification. So we come to chapter 6 where objective truth, or we call it orthodoxy or right belief, should, and I say should, lead to orthopraxy, meaning right living. But I say should because that's not always the case, right? Because it's not enough just to have right understanding, right doctrine, right truth. And having understanding biblical truth is essential for a healthy and godly Christian or a healthy and godly church. But there are many Christians in many churches who do not always live out what we call orthodoxy, that moves from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Ortho literally means correct or right or straight. So ortho or or doxy, right, when we put that word together, doxy means set of beliefs. Hence, we get the word orthodoxy. Orthopraxy or praxy means to live or to practice Hence, we get the word orthopraxy, which means right living or right practice. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, orthodoxy, and does them, right, does them, it's a, it's a present tense, puts them to practice, orthopraxy, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock or the truth of belief and practice. But he says in verse 27, everyone who hears these words of my orthodoxy and does not what? Do them. Does not what? Put them through practice will be like a fool, an idiot, a fool or foolish man who built his house under the rock under the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's what James says. Do not be just hearers of God's word, but what? Be doers of God's word. So we hear God's word, and what we do, we do, we practice. And by the way, it doesn't come the other way around. So in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul transitions from the teaching to of justification to sanctification, from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. So even in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter writes this. But he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the growing is the what? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The growing is what we call sanctification. And sanctification or holiness isn't some high, right, this, this high Oh, my gosh, lofty, this, this state of being um, or that's, that's unattainable. What the Bible teaches is that because Christ saved us and, and made us, and he has given us the Holy Spirit, he has given us the word of God, we can, by his power, his grace, and by the truth of his word, live up to who we are in Christ Jesus. Not always easy. Because there's that sinful nature that constantly resists the Spirit of God, that constantly resists, right, what God wants to do in our lives. Now listen here. We're not trying to achieve holiness. We're not trying to achieve righteousness. We're not trying to achieve goodness or godliness Because we have been given. That's why the doctrine of justification is so essential. Because through justification, through Christ, we have received holiness. We have received justification. We have received righteousness. We have received grace. And by that truth, we live out. We live that out. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed right we are loved it says here as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence paul speaking to the church in philippi but much more in my absence he says work out your salvation with fear and what trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure all right, I'm almost 50 years old, like I shared with you earlier, okay? And that is a good shape that I used to be. All right, now, anybody have membership in the gym or LA Fitness or 24? Okay, all right, all right, that's like, it. When you go into the gym, and you work out. Do you work out to keep your membership? No, it's because you have membership, you work out. You understand what I'm saying here? Well, Paul is saying that we don't work for our salvation, but we work it out. Because we are members of God's people through Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me here, church? This is so important. Okay. So I don't know if I share this with you. You all know I'm Korean, right? Okay. All right. Uh, I used to be pretty good at distinguishing Asians back then, like, you know, Asians and Koreans and Japanese. But as I get older, it's a little more difficult nowadays. But anyways, okay. Uh, If you know, like, the Korean culture Okay, as much as I love my Korean people, sometimes it's so anti-gospel. What I mean by this is Koreans are all about, like, 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 there's a saying in Korean, say, "bali bali." Okay, "bali bali," right? And Roy knows what I'm talking about because she's married to a Korean woman, right? Okay. Um, and and the, the, the idea is like, 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 do, 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 do. Like, it literally means hurry, hurry, hurry. But see, like, the, the Korean culture is like, like, it's about doing, it's about doing. Do, 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 do. it, do, do it, like, like, like get it done. Like, let's do it, let's, let's, let's like, like, when I was stationed in Korea, it was so interesting, like, you see a section of, like, um, uh, on the street, and it's an abandoned building. And then, like, next week, bam, there's a building. It's like, what in the world? Pali, <laughs> pali, do, 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 do. And sometimes Christians, we fall into this Trap this idea that being a Christian is about do, 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 right? But before doing, doing, and doing, in the Christian view or, or, or perspective, it's about being before doing. Now, we ought to be doing, but the doing should come out of our being. So the process of sanctification or spiritual growth starts with being, knowing, and then what? doing so today's let's look at the text in romans chapter 6 verse 1 through 14 and we're going to see what it means to be in christ the being and then to know christ the knowing and then to do for christ the doing so let me read the text that i'm going to be preaching and teaching from romans 6 verse 1 through 14 paul says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin That grace may abound? By no means. How can we die? How can we who die to sin still live in it? Verse 3 of Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ; we believe that we will also live with Him. Verse nine. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over us or over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to Christ, lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but what? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are no, you or you are not under law, but under grace. So the key, right, to a healthy Christian life is to process or to possess a healthy self-image. Now listen, let me explain here, okay? I'm not talking about self-love. The, the, the secular world, secular psychology is to consume with self-love, okay? We live in a narcissistic society, right? And, and you see young people, wherever they go, it's about what? Selfies. And, and like when you go to like sports events, like when I, when I go to sports events, I have to watch the sports event with my own eyes, not through a smartphone. It's amazing how people are so, self so consumed, right? I mean, you, you look at like, you know, what, why, why, why is like social media such a big deal in our society today? Because it's, it, it feeds one's narcissism. And the Bible never teaches self-love, all right? The Bible teaches what? The love of God and love of others. And you have to love one another or others as you love yourself, all right? But when I'm talking about self-image, I'm talking about a self-image that reflects the image of Christ. Remember Adam sinned, right? When Adam sinned, it stained and shattered the image of God in all of us. But in Christ, the image of God is restored. Actually, the Hebrew word in Latin, the phrase for the image of God, image deo, which means it's a reflection or the shadow or the likeness of God. So our God-likeness is a path to our greatest fulfillment. In the book uh, by Dick uh, uh, Stobb's book, About You, that's the title of the book, he writes, you will feel the greatest pleasure and wholeness when who God made you to be is fully developed and express See, let me tell you the greatest pleasure right and wholeness is not self-love but it is found in christ and christ reflecting in you and so you get a healthy godly perspective of self-image now i want you to think about this right people find their identity in many things some find it in their success, some find it in their tragedies, and some even find it in their addiction. Like, for example, if you go to an AA meeting, right, the first thing they do is like, hi, they say, hi, I'm Ed, and I'm an alcoholic. Every meeting, every meeting people go around and say, hi, I'm Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. And so what happens is some people who are or have issues with addiction they find their identity in the addiction or even tragedy some of you know that i've, sh- uh, I've served in the army uh, as a chaplain and i've had almost 40 months of combat and when i was in combat in iraq and afghanistan i've seen and i've experienced the most horrific things in war i've seen the death of soldiers and i've seen the death of civilians and when i came back from my second deployment, um, in 2007, I was diagnosed with what they call it, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, right? And for years, I was finding my identity in my tragedy. Okay. And what I realized is that, that the more I thought about my tragedy, the more I thought about my, my scars in life or, or the horrors of life, I was getting narcissistic of, of my pain. I fell into what they call it woe is me syndrome, right? And by the grace of God, it had taken you know, months and even years to realize that I am not identified by my tragedy. I am not identified by my accomplishments, but I am identified who Christ is and what Christ has done for me. See, for the believer, being in Christ is where everything begins. Because finding our identity in Christ is the key to victorious and fulfilled living. See, because why? See, you see, in Christ, we have salvation. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have propitiation. In Christ, we have adoption. In Christ, we have justification. In Christ, we are sanctified. In Christ, we will have future glorification. In Christ, there's forgiveness of sin, victory over sin, and complete eradication of sin when one day Christ returns or we die and meet the Lord in heaven. In Christ, we have been crucified, Paul says. We have died and buried and were raised within. So Paul writes here to inform and to remind the believer that because we are united with christ we find our identity with him and finding our identity in christ and christ alone is the key to triumphant and satisfying living how many of you guys in college all right don't be ashamed okay how many guys in college and starving okay i'm just kidding all right. i don't understand a concept like like you know starving college students i always see college students they eat so well all the time but I know, like, when you go to your school, like, you know, like, ooh, you know, like UW or, or Wazoo or, or, you know, in my case, uh, Go Eagles, uh, Biola University. Okay, you never probably heard of it. But how sometimes I see students, right, they identify themselves with the, what school they came from, right? Meaning that your, your accomplishments, now, you ought to be proud of whatever school you're going to, but my point is this, church, is that we should always strive find our identity in Christ. So, to be in Christ, starting from verse 1 to chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Why does Paul raise this question? Because remember in Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says, Where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Because some. Well, take that verse and say, I should sin more so I could receive more of God's grace. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's ridiculous. But there are teachings like that, right? This is called antinomianism, which is the belief that we can continue to sin because we are under grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from the, uh, the book called The Cost of Discipleship, he calls that cheap grace. So that's what Paul says in verse 2. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That's what Paul says in verse 3. Do you not know? Right? Do you not know? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus was baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. By his baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's why Paul is stating that the spiritual reality that all those who have trusted in Christ Jesus, right, he says, know this. Know what? Know that you and I have been baptized into him. Now, let me get this clear here. Paul is not referring to water baptism here. Do I believe in baptism? I mean, do I believe that every Christian can be baptized? Absolutely. Okay. But the word here, baptist or baptism in the Greek is called baptismal, which literally means right, dipping or washing or immersion. That's why the early Christians baptized believers by immersion underwater. water. I and every church has different practices, right? They could, they, some churches do sprinkle, some churches do you know full immersion, some churches do spit. I don't know. I mean. Oh. that's not the important part here, okay? okay? And when you read the Bible, when you talk about baptism, it's all—it's always a spiritual, right, re- example of the reality of what has happened inside of a person's life. But the word baptized here, and this is a, I think what Paul's referring to, it has the idea of being Immerse underwater right this is the picture okay so when someone is baptized underwater buried within submersion underwater and being raised within immersion from water so the water baptism only symbolizes the believer's union in christ or the immersion with christ So when you and I give our lives to Christ, what happens spiritually is that you and I have been united with Christ and, what, immersed in Christ. So you see, Paul doesn't say we have been united with him as baptism. Actually, he doesn't say that. He says, what, but we were baptized into his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in the the newness of his life. So this baptism is a spiritual union with Christ. Basically, the main ideal here of baptism is being united with him, united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so Paul says, well, know this. Listen, church, this is so essential. Because the death and resurrection, right, which is the gospel, is not just the aftermath. The death and resurrection... Okay? It's not just an afterthought. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central point of who we are. And I tell you, let me, take, let me tell you another thing. You know who's the most powerful preacher in your life is? It's not Roy or it's not me. You know who it is? It's you. Because every day you're preaching something to yourself. And what are you preaching? Are you preaching yourself, your identity, right? of your success, of your addiction, of your tragedy, or are you preaching the gospel to yourself? Are you preaching that my identity is in Christ, my hope is in Christ, my joy is in Christ, my power is in Christ, my purpose is in Christ? Ask yourself, what are you preaching to yourself? Trust me, think about this, right? When you're like driving or by yourself, ask yourself, what are you thinking in your mind? What are you preaching to yourself? And what Paul is saying, no, right? No. Preach this truth to yourself. That what? We are united in Christ in his death, in his burial, and resurrection. Christians should not continue in sin. So Paul continues here in verse 5 of chapter 6. For we have been united with him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like this. And so we're looking at verse 6 again. We know, right? What we know we know that our old self was, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer are enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The old self was, what? Paul says, know this. It's being crucified. The word crucified means it's dead. So whenever you're, you're you know, that, 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 that temptation, that, that ugly sinful nature comes out, just preach it to yourself. You are dead. You are crucified. Why? Because Christ kills sin on the cross. And by the way, right, if you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. There's no cohabitation with sin. And so Paul is saying, remind yourself to this. Know this. Know this truth. And because we are united with Christ in his crucifixion, our old self is also crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Meaning that the rule of sin, right, the power of sin, the dominion of sin through the body is powerless. Because why? Christ made it powerless. Powerless. Paul is saying that sin's power and rule was broken when Christians are united with Christ, united with Christ. Now, this is not talking about perfectionism, right? There's a teaching that, that there's a point where Christians could actually be like, 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 like so perfect that they will not sin, okay? Then why do we need First John chapter 1, verse 89, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and th- the truth is not in us. John says that we f- if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What Paul is saying is this, basically, right? That the tyranny, the dominion, and the power... And the rule of sin having been defeated for the believer in Christ. This means that the pattern of the Christian life should be a progressive growth. We call it sanctification, we call it growing. I hope all of us who are called themselves, call themselves Christians is that we look back that we're not the we're not we were five years ago or ten years ago, but we're continued growing in that truth. Being in Christ and finding our identity in Him is the first step to victorious living. Second, to know Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 8 and 11. So the next step to spiritual growth is to know Christ, right? So being in Christ, know that you are in Christ. He says, verse 8, now we have been dead with Christ. We believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer have dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you and I, Paul says in verse 11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So knowing Christ is more than just head knowledge. But remember we talked about orthodoxy? So important. Sound doctrine. Sound truth. But it's also what, it's not just about knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is knowing him both head and heart. Knowing Christ is both objective and subjective. Objective meaning through the study of scripture and sound doctrine. And subjective meaning personal faith and obedience to Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's talking about Jews. Remember, he was a Jew before he became a Christian. He says, verse 4, Through I myself have reason to confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He said he was circumcised in the eighth day, People of Israel, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he even what? Persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, or at least in the eyes of man, he said he was blameless. See, listen, Paul, when he became a Christian, did not find his identity in his achievements or in his past, but in whom? Christ. So much so, he considered everything, right? nothing compared to who? Jesus Christ. That's what verse 7 says this. But whatever gain I had, right? Whatever accomplished that he's accomplished, he said, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying that all these things that I've done compared to the knowledge of Christ it's way better. Somebody say amen. It's tremendously better. It's epic compared to all that he's accomplished. For this sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things in content. And I know the English translation, trying to be sophisticated, saying what? All these things compared to Christ is rubbish. No, no, no. Let me say it straight out it's dung. Literally means dung in rubbish. Okay, maybe you didn't get it. Poo. Poo-poo. Paul's saying that compared to the greatness and the surpassing wonder of Jesus Christ, all these things this world offers, all these things that the world, right, right, thinks and tells you how great it is. Every advertisement, every commercial is telling you, right, you need it, you need it, you need to buy it, right? People getting lines and hours to get the next iPhone. Paul says, that's poo. Paul says, that's doo-doo. Compared to the greatness of Christ. compared Compared to the surpassing glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that he said, what? That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And he says in verse 10, that I may know him. Right? That was Paul's passion. That was Paul's desire. That was Paul's purpose in life, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and even share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Hey, church, Knowing Christ is the greatest purpose, and that's the reason why not only God created us, but God saved us. Knowing Christ is also being known by him. See, to know him is because he first knew us, and it's because he found us, it's because he pursued us, it's because he saved us, because he had predestined us. He has elected us. He has regenerated us. He has evangelized us. He has given us faith to believe in him. Christ gives us the grace. And because all that Christ is and all that Christ offers us, we want to know him. Do you see that? The highest purpose in your life is to know Christ, church. And so today you sit here, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to offer you the greatest gift, and that gift is trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who died and rose from the dead for your sins and for mine. Third, finally, right to know Christ, to be in Christ, and then finally to do for Christ. So this is the what? This is the remember the head, the know, right? To be is the heart. And Now this is the hand, the head, the heart and the hand. Romans 6 verse 12 and 13, 14 says, "So from our identity, right? For who we are, knowing who we are, being who we are in Christ, we live and do all things for Christ." That's why verse 12 says, "Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. But what do what? Verse 13, Do not present your members. Right, meaning your body, your your body, your life, to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no or sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So you see here, right, there's a negative and a positive aspect. I'm not talking about a yin and a yang here, guys, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. Okay. But the negative aspect is that you do not present yourselves or your members, your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but to what? Positively present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and are members to God as, as instruments for righteousness. Why, why is that? Because why? Our bodies don't belong to ourselves anymore. If Christ died for us, our body belongs to whom? Christ. And so the logical reason, because he died for us, we ought to what? Present our lives. Present our bodies. And you'll get there eventually, Romans chapter 12. Are you guys going through the whole Romans? Again, you know, 12 verse 12. One, What is it what? present yourselves unto God as living sacrifice. So Paul speaks of what? Instruments for unrighteousness and instruments for righteousness. Who and how we live our lives for would determine our lives of being righteous or unrighteous. If we live our lives for ourselves or for anyone else except Christ, our life is wasted and is used for the wrong purpose. But if we live our lives for Christ... Our lives are not squandered and is used for the right purpose. See, listen, unrighteousness is not just a list of things not to do. Okay? Basically, an unrighteousness is living a life that's wasted. Man, Man I don't know about you. I look back at my life, I wasted so much of my life, right? The hours of TV that I watched. All right, the hours of like, getting together with your friends trying to figure out where to go eat. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. The hours of preoccupied about like what should I wear, what should I eat. And Jesus said, hey, 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 those are the stuff that pagans go after. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Do we really believe that, church? Do we really believe that? But after, right, being justified by God, God takes our lives in the process of sanctification that we may continue to grow in that righteousness. Going back to Philippians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already attained it, right? This is, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He presses on. and and, And the Bible calls us to, to press on—it's this idea of like, like a runner, right? You ever, you ever seen a runner when they run, right? And, and they come to the finish line, and they're like pressing on, like they want to get there, like, like they're, like, like uh, you know, like it's like you see the the strain of of a runner trying to finish to the finish line. And Paul is saying, press on, moving on, going forward, forgetting my past. He says, but because Christ has made it, made me His own. That was Paul's purpose and calling in this life. That's why Paul's passion and purpose in life was to what? Press forward to being in Christ, to know Christ, and to serve and to do Christ. Paul was willing to suffer and and, and go through whatever agony, whatever suffering that he could do and work for Christ because he understood who he was in Christ. Let me wrap it up by Galatians chapter 2. It says here, Paul says in verse 20 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because we have been crucifi- crucified with Christ, we are dead to sin, but what? Alive to God. This, this means that we do not find our identity or our purpose in sin and or our, in ourselves, but in Christ, in Christ alone. Because Christ gave his life for us. Let us give our lives, our dreams, our hopes, our passions, our identity, everything. To Christ, because he has given everything for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's truly amazing to know know that we have been crucified and buried and resurrected with Christ. Thank you for uniting us with Christ and sanctifying us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge our complete dependency on you so we offer ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness. Because you have been crucified for us, we too pray what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in this body, in this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's rise. Thank you.